This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Sadie. And Sadie was in a five-year relationship with an ultra-controlling narcissist. It's a story of hoovering, codependency, secrets, stalking, valuing yourself, and finding your identity. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. This is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now before we get to our episode with Sadie, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show. Go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, it says Guest Form. Press that button, fill out the guest form, and we go from there. But another way to be on our show is to be part of our Letters to My Narcissist compilation episode. So for that, you also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. And if you want to read your letter, there's a floating button on the side of the page. It says send voicemail. Press that button. Read your letter. It records up to five minutes. You need more than five minutes. You press it twice. You need more than that. You press it three times and so on and so on. We are accumulating those letters for a Letters to My Narcissist Compilation Episode Volume 6. So send in those voicemails. And if you don't want to read the letter yourself and you want myself or my old pal Melissa to read the letter for you, just send it to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and myself or my old pal Melissa will read it. Put Letters to My Narcissist in the subject line as well. 
other things on our site. We are now offering high-conflict parenting courses that can be found at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with Online Parenting, and many of the courses we're offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you've listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and he's now helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And another way you can support our show is by joining our Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon, which is kind of like a fan club with extras. And some of the extras just happen to be episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests, and much more. But what is that much more? Yes, Yes, there is a much more, everyone. We are now offering virtual support groups that happen on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights. Uh, every other Wednesday, we do a creative night as part of, as part of our uh, virtual support groups. And we uh, as well now have our own private uh, support forum board as well and you know it's more private than facebook it's much safer for everyone who thinks that someone might be watching on our patreon that will not happen there's apps for everything on your phone so you can get updates straight right to you so you know if you want to be a patron of our patreon it helps support the show come to patreon.com slash narcissist apocalypse it's all five dollars it's pretty cheap to get all that stuff for five bucks you can give us more if you like but five bucks is the minimum we want to make it a affordable for everyone. So uh, patreon.com slash narcissist apocalypse. And I think that is it, everyone. So this is uh, my recording with Sadie. This is our second time uh, we recorded. We went over it the first time. It didn't work out in the way that we thought it was ready for the main show. We recorded again, and I think Sadie did an amazing job. And, you know, you listen the whole way through. At the end, she is a quote machine. Uh, it gets emotional at the end in like the last 20 minutes. She was superb. She was fantastic, and I really appreciate that she uh, appreciate that she did the show. So a big thanks and big hugs to you, Sadie. And now, uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Sadie. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Sadie. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Well, this is our second time talking, and I know your story pretty well, and uh, I'm happy you're back uh, with me today to tell your story, and I'm just going to get out of uh, my way and your way. Sadie, the floor is now yours. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. So we'll start with um, my life before I met my ex-narc, because it's kind of just a cycle. You'll see that uh, I'm a part of that I'm trying to break here. So um, it goes back to my mom. She was married really young. Uh, My biological dad, he was, uh, she met him in a church and he was like a worship leader and he was super charismatic and everyone loved him. Um, So they got married. Um, and she had my sister and I, my older sister, who's a year older than me, um, when she was 19 and when she was 20. 
So she's married and she has both of us. And um, my biological father, he begins to, um, he got abusive in every way. And it was, it was really, really bad. Um, so, and he also started cheating and he would cheat on her with just everybody, like men and women included. So um, she had to leave. So she divorced him and um, she went reluctantly to live with my granddad, which is her dad. Um, they didn't have the best relationship at the time. Um, so it was a reluctant move because uh, he, growing up in their home, um, he was an alcoholic and he was sober by the time that she was trying to move us in there. Um, they were trying to mend that relationship, but we moved in with him because of everything that was going on. And um, my biological dad, he did you know, try to hear from my mom in every kind of way. And he tried kidnapping my sister and I. And I have like a very super vague memory of a day that he had done that. But, you know, I barely remember anything, just the day being in the house and an event. But um, anyway, so um, she gets a restraining order on him and um, she dates one guy. Uh, and then she starts dating my current dad, my stepdad, but I'm going to call him my dad for the rest of this because um, they got married after a couple of years um, of her being single. And so my sister and I were maybe like five or six at the time. And um, so my dad, he moved our family over 20 hours away from our home state and our family where we were living um, for his job because he was going to seminary at the time. So uh, we didn't, we weren't making like hardly any money. Um, he had a very, very low paying like side job while he was going to school. So we were really poor and, um, we kind of started out this way. Uh, we ended up moving five times before I graduated high school to like different states and you know different parts of the U S. Um, and so like he started out working in jobs that were all in a religious you know, firm, and each time we moved, it was because God called us to a new place. So that's what they would say is that God was calling us to a new place. Um, so we'd pick up and move, you know, move away from all of our friends after like two or three years. And ever since I was in the second grade, he started working in actual churches. And he started off in like lower, uh, lower positions and moved up to higher positions until I graduated high school. So, you know, he made a little bit more money, but our lifestyle was like, we never had, you know, brand names. We never had nice cars. Uh, we didn't know about that stuff. We just didn't know that life. Like our friends always had more toys and stuff than us, but like nicer things. And we were just, we couldn't go out to eat or anything like that. But they tried to like make us fit in with everybody. And um, they sent us to public schools and uh, we just had like really, really strict rules, like about how we could dress and who we could go to spend the night at their house, like sleepovers with, you know, little girls' birthday parties and stuff. Like we couldn't go to, we'd have to be pulled out at the time that it was time for everyone to go to sleep and, you know, have a sleepover and watch a movie. We'd have to be pulled out because my dad had this rule where we couldn't sleep over at girls' houses that both of their parents weren't an active member in our church. Um, it was very a strict rule. And then we also had rules about like music. Like we couldn't listen to anything besides religious music. So, that was kind of a barrier among friends as well. We didn't know all the songs that everyone else knew. Um, we just had uh, like a lot of rules. We had a lot of chores in our house. Um, if our grades were less than an A, it was, you know, looked down upon and punished for a C or less. Um, and, you know, I got really good grades, but my sister didn't because, uh, you know, she was just always pushing his limits and trying to do her own thing. And she stayed in trouble forever, <laughs> like constantly grounded. But, we had these very unfitting disciplines for things like they were just over the top and like too much. And 
Um, often it was like like shameful disciplines, like standing in the corner for a long period of time, you know, just like a, a shameful act or, uh, you know, over 30 minutes just for a small offense. Like, I don't know, leaving a towel on the floor or leaving your straightener plugged in, not turned on, but plugged into the wall. Like that just came up on the top of my head now. Like just really stupid. Yeah. So is it safe to say or fair to say that you grew up in a perfectionist environment where perfection was expected of you and that you were hyper vigilant to that and conforming to uh, the the needs of others in that time? Yes, very much so. Um, like I said, we were moving up to uh, different churches since I was in second grade until the end of high school. So we'd move like higher positions and to my dad, uh, so he was a covert narcissist, and now I know that, but uh, he, to, to him, our image was everything. It was everything. Like, if somebody in our family had done something wrong, it was hidden, it was shamed, um, it was disciplined swiftly, it was, you know, very embarrassing to him. And so he had to have this image, and it became more and more important uh, as the years went on. And so his need for control became worse, Um it was there was no freedom of self-expression under him. Um, he constantly had this thing where he's always been overweight, and he's always made fun of people, especially people that are overweight or just people that look a particular way. And he'll just call people out and like, if he sees a kid crying in public or something, he would always do this. He would just point his finger and like laugh his ass off and just like you know make fun and just be like, oh, I bet that kid, you know. Uh, I don't know, like, if it was an overweight kid or something, he'd be like, I bet that kid is just hungry and, like, wants a donut. Like, he would just laugh at people and be like, ah, oh, look at that kid. He would uh, grab my sister and I's, like, our stomach and, like, extra fat. Like, it was just ridiculous the way that he would make fun of people despite <laughs> the fact that he didn't take care of his own self. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So, so, like, so, there, so, no so there is actually, like, a myriad of things from possible – you know, because for, for everyone who's listening, you know, this is a relationship story. So the stuff kind of going on here in your childhood uh, from things mm-hmm. like weight issues, uh, self-esteem, body issues that could have been created here, uh, identity issues because you've been conforming to someone else. You don't really have a voice of your own growing up here along with, you know, expectations and perfectionism uh, along those lines and all these things that are happening are kind of setting you up for your uh, future relationship and, you know, as far as what boundaries will be broken down, you know, you're, you're kind of here are your boundaries that are already being broken here. You have no idea okay. even at this age what boundaries yeah. are because you've never even had them. Yes. I didn't even realize that I didn't know who I was all this time. You know, I thought, oh, you know, I'm this cheerleader, I'm the pastor's daughter, I'm this, I'm that, but that, that was not who I was. It, like, who was I? I had no idea, and I didn't know for a very, very long time up until recently that I never knew that I didn't know who I was. <laughs> so um, that's been <clears throat> an interesting part of this journey. But um, anyways, yeah, so going off of that, um, you know, once I graduated high school, we'll just move past all that family stuff that's kind of to set us up for how vulnerable I was and how naive, honestly, just so naive. Like, it was, like, almost like living under a rock, but not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
I don't know. I just used that expression a lot growing up. Like we were just so sheltered from things. And, you know, I got out of their house like as soon as I graduated. And um, it was really shocking. <laughs> just like everything. I don't know. It was just crazy. Um, living a normal life like everybody else already had been. So anyways, um, so as soon as I graduated, I moved from where we were living, which was another faraway state. And I moved, um, it was over 15 hours away from our home state. So I moved back to our home state and I moved to a city that I'd never lived before. Um, and I love the beach. So I moved to a beach city and I started waiting tables and I was doing like some cocktail waitressing in the evenings. Um, I was a member of a gym and I was like, I would consider myself a gym rat. I did that for a really long time. And, um, it was really important to me. Like I would go over probably over six times a week, sometimes do two days. Um, it was just super important to me. It was like a lifting and functional fitness kind of gym. So it was like a daily, you know, it was a lifestyle thing. It was everything to me, like my health and all of that. Like I was really invested in myself. Um, and I didn't even uh, realize, um, you know, how important that was until I didn't have it anymore. Um, so I was dating here and there, you know, there was only like one major relationship that was notable during this time period. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was nothing really serious. And then, um, in the summer of 2015, so I graduated high school in 2012. And then in the summer of 2015, um, I'm, I was working at a, uh, a rooftop bar. It was right on the beach, and um, it was only open in the evenings, and it was kind of uh, considered upscale. They had a dress code and stuff like that. So I was working there in the summer of 2015, and um, I was going into work that night, and I didn't realize that it was the night that uh, I would meet the person that would change my life forever. Like, literally, this day would change my life forever. Because um, it was the night that I met my ex nurse. So I see him standing across the patio for me. It's this big patio with lots of people. And he's got his back against the wall next to the bar. And our eyes just lock, like, across the crowd. So I went over to him, and um, I'm supposed to be selling bottles, so that was my intent. And I was trying to be cute and flirtatious, and um, we kind of talked about, you know, the bottles, but not really. He was just mainly, like, interested in asking me about my status and stuff like that, if I was single going. Um, I didn't give him my number, but he gave me his because that was, you know, the kind of game that I played just to kind of lead the men on and not, not have too many guys like bombarding, but I was still trying to make a sale. So I was like, you know, being flirtatious back. And, um, like I said, there was an obvious attraction that we just like couldn't take our eyes off of each other because I, I just found him so alluring. Like his face is beautiful and, um, he's tan. He's, uh, I'll give you some background about him, but, um. Yeah, it was just like we, he gave me his number. And then despite this obvious attraction, I didn't hit him up for three months. Um, I thought about him and um, I didn't because he was older than me. He, I'd never dated older than me. And at the time he was 33 and I was just 21. Um, so a few months passed and um, we see each other online on like two dating websites, not just one, but like two in the same day. So I guess we were both pretty heavily active on, you know, <laughs> dating sites then so um we ended up talking and deciding that we should meet up so we planned a lunch date for the very next day and um i'll give you some background about my ex now he's a uh, he moved here when he was 18 from a developing country and um he's been working 
you know, just part-time jobs and stuff while he was in school because he was going to uh, a university here or where he lives now. Um, his family back home is super well off. Uh, his dad helped him to buy the town home that he currently lives in. His dad has helped him with a lot of stuff over the years. And like I said, my ex did work like part-time jobs, but for the most part, his dad has given like a really big helping hand, like in business endeavors as well. So, um, he helped my ex to basically, uh, open a dealership or take over a dealership that was already existing. And so my ex, he owns, uh, it's like a small, but not super small used car dealership. And, um, He's also a non-practicing Muslim. So by that, I mean he has full, he acts like he fully believes in the faith, but yet he doesn't practice any part of it. Although quite a handful of his friends do and they'll, you know, go pray five times a day and stuff that he never has and, you know, never has as long as I've known him. Um, but he still is just like, <laughs> he will preach it to the death of like, no, this is the right faith. And like, like I said, I grew up in a my own religion and it's not the same as his, but I'm not super um, practicing either. I kind of just believe in uh, a divinity within ourselves. So we have some similarities between the two that we were able to think that it was something cool between us. Like, oh, we're so different, but yet we're so attracted to each other. So um, that's kind of his background. So anyways, like back to our first date that day. Um, so we go to this restaurant and it's just a small little Mediterranean place. And he's asking me all these super personal questions, like about my lifestyle and, um, my dating history. And it gets really, really personal to the point of he's asking about my sexual history at the lunch table. And so, um, like I said, I couldn't say it more. Like I was so naive and I was just an open book. Um, and I wanted to seem interesting and, you know, attractive. So I kind of just was an open book with him. And I didn't realize I was like handing him a box of ammunition that he was going to use in the future to bring me to my knees every single time. Um, we would get into a fight, but he was asking me these questions on stuff. And so uh, the date is over and we go outside and um, we're standing next to his car. And he's kind of looking at me, like expecting me to be like, oh, nice car or whatever. But like I said, I didn't know anything about, you know, nice cars and things like that of that nature. I just didn't care about that stuff, and I wasn't raised on it. So um, I was like, okay, it's nice. So apparently it was an extremely nice car. It was like one out of 40 made in the world. <laughs> but he's like, so you want to go for a ride? And I was like, sure. I could tell, like, he really wanted me to. So um, I get in the car, and, like, we get not even two minutes down the road, and <clears throat> he asked me like how much finances are and stuff like that. And I answered him, I was like, you know, caught off guard, but I was like, I wasn't wearing anything that was like asking for, I don't know. It was just very strange that it was shocking to me, but I was just like, um, I'm fine. You know, I've been on my own since you know, I graduated and I'm used to this and I pay my bills and I'm good. But he takes out $2,000 cash out of this backpack that he carries around with him, and he still does, like, all the time. He carries his backpack around with tons of cash in it, like, some feeling of power or something like that. Um, and he hands it to me, and he's like, let's go to your bank right now and let's deposit it. And um, I want you to work for me at my dealership and do this and that for me. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Because um, he's just trying to make it seem like, you know, life is just so much better if I would just, you know, do these things and be with him. So he's trying to get me out of like the... You guys are on... So how long have you actually known him at this point? Well, I I had met him the one time at the bar and then... We saw each other on the dating sites the three months later, and the very next day we're on this date. This is a, oh, like, so. So, this, so, so the, the first <laughs> date you're being given two thousand dollars. The very first date, and, yes, and, right and a job in a at his um, his dealership. So you're yes, being love bombed monetarily yeah. right off the bat and also being given an opportunity, but really uh, that opportunity is a form of control, but you're still taken aback about like, first of all, this guy's really good looking and like I'm attracted to him in that way. And two, like he's, he's kind of saying these right things and who would do this if they don't like me? Right. He was so generous and it was just like, um, it, well, to me, I was kind of like thinking, you know, I'm never going to see this guy again, maybe. Um, and even if it goes nowhere, like at least I have the, the money, like I could definitely use the money. So like to me, I was just like, you know, whatever. So I accepted it and um, I did eventually accept the job offer as well. But I kept my restaurant job at the same time. But um, so the same day we deposit the money or whatever. And he takes me back to his house and Literally, like, as soon as we get there, this is, like, his house and his dealership are his domain. He doesn't like to be anywhere besides them, and he feels out of control when he's not at them, and you can tell. Um, so we get back to his house, and instantly, this is the very first date, instantly, he's, like, kissing on my neck, like, right in his kitchen as soon as we go in and telling me how bad he wants me and all this stuff. And um, so he had just, like, given me all this money, right, and he had physically met me that one time at the rooftop bar and I was wearing like a tiny little mini dress. So like, you know, what kind of signal, <laughs> you know, I just didn't have the best sense of self at the time. I really was like at my lowest point in that regard um, at that time. So he's kissing on me and I followed suit. Um, <clears throat> and uh, some things happened and there was no protection. Um, and that will be important for later. Um, no, I didn't get pregnant, but anyways, so, He's, uh, he tries to get me to stay the night with him. And I'm just like, you know, I don't have any of my stuff, but he wants me to stay the night with him that day. And I was like, I don't have any, any of my stuff. And I had my own apartment. So I went back home and he's calling me and texting me and he's uh, saying, come back over. And uh, my GPS wasn't working because something about my phone had broken. Um, so I told him that he was like offering to send me an Uber and he was offering to send me money for a new phone. Just trying to really overwhelm me with the love bombing, like, and to me, I was like, you know, this incredible bachelor is just dying to see me again. Like, it wasn't raising red flags for me. I just was feeling good about myself, um, the way that he was making me feel, doing all this stuff, um, just overwhelming me with these texts and bombarding me. Um, and I don't know. I was just, just so blind at the time. I was 21. So, anyways, um, so the second day, he's persistent again, and uh, I did end up going over there. Um, and we spent the night together. And then from the third night on, like we, from the second night, actually, we spent every single night after that together. Um, he wouldn't allow me to stay at my own apartment. 
um, I would offer all the time. I'd be like, let's stay in mine tonight. Let's switch off. You know, I have this or that ready for us. Let's stay in mine. And there was always excuses as to why he wanted to, you know, stay at, stay at his and that I needed to as well. So it was just so much control in that regard. Um, but within our, our first two weeks of really dating and um, being together after that first date, um, he told me that he loves me within those first two weeks. And I knew that, that that was something strange, but I was just so caught up and blinded by the love bombing that, and I didn't even know what the word love bombing was at the time, that I uh, started back to him after a few days, um, and he's telling me that he wants to bring me back home to meet his family, and that I'm so much better than his ex, and that his ex is crazy, and she's a cheater, and other stuff that was untrue. <laughs> um, but the sex was unbelievable for the first few months together. Uh, it was extremely focused on me. And it was like, I couldn't even keep up because it was like over two times a day. It was like three and four times a day he was trying to do it. And I was just like, I couldn't keep up. And I remember telling my friend that on the phone. I was just like, I, <laughs> he was older than me and I just couldn't believe it. So like, anyways, um, so during this time, like really soon on, I started, you know, doing stuff around the house for him and taking care of him and making him breakfast, lunch, you know, whatever, um, cleaning up after everybody and keeping the floors clean, just doing everything. I was this complete homemaker. I took care of him hand and foot. Um, and I would do this for the rest of the, the relationship, but it made me happy to do it. You know, I didn't do it um, out of a mean spirit. I was happy to do it. And because um, I loved him. Uh, so I still had my apartment at this time, and um, he was actually paying out my rent so that I would stay with him and live with him. Everything was just like, oh, you know, money's nothing for him. So he would just pay everything and everybody else to make himself happy. Um, so I worked for him during the days, and he would actually also offer to pay me out of my restaurant shift until I ended up quitting the job because it was just really, like, attractive to uh you know, he would say, I'll pay you double what you're going to make tonight if you stay home and just cook with me and hang out. And, like, of course that sounds better. So I would give up my shift to something else, and eventually I stopped working there. Um, so then I was just working for him. <laughs> oh, sorry, for during this time, what, I guess, are you – what are you thinking as far as, like, this is too good to be true or, like, this this is perfect, like, this is made to be – and like nothing could be better based upon you know you know what my life was like previously like this is like a fairy tale kind of what's going on do you start talking to your friends about like how amazing this person uh is and like gushing about them i would say yes i was completely infatuated it was like a fairy tale to me like i was like oh we finally found each other like we're perfect you know we complete each other in all <clears throat> the ways that each other doesn't have. And, you know, we're different in the right ways. And I had two girlfriends from the gym that were still my friends during this time. Um, just two. I've just always had like a small circle because I've made a lot. Um, but I had two really good friends and uh, I would bring them around here and there and we would go to dinner together sometimes. And he would hit on my friends, like in the most subtle kind of ways where, it was hard to call it out because then I was so controlling and jealous. So I wasn't about it. So I just kind of stopped bringing my friends around and <clears throat> I kind of just started going to see them here and there for like dinner at their house or, you know, set up one night a week to go have a girls night, but we wouldn't go out. I would just be at their houses because he wouldn't allow that. 
Um, so this was really early on, like in the first few months. Like he wouldn't allow me to go anywhere without him unless, you know, we went to dinner together. But if I was with just the girls, I had to be at like one of their houses or something. Um, and he would FaceTime me and Snapchat me the whole time because he basically like wanted proof or something. I don't know. Um, but like the first few months that we were together, the sex was like unbelievable the whole time. And, uh, he's, he's taking me out to dinners. We're ordering whatever we want all the time. We're going shopping all the time. We're going to the beach every weekend. He's just really showing me off. Like he's making me feel seen in a way that I just never experienced before. Um, and the generosity is just overwhelming. I hate to sound like that, but it just was, you know, it's just, it's not like, a part of the reason that we did this cycle, but it definitely had it. Uh, it looked really attractive. Um. And, and listen, with all of these things happening at the same time, it's one wave after another wave of something. It might not be being uh, catered to monetarily, but other things are going on sex wise. And, you know, so it's, it's one thing after the other, it's overwhelming. And for people who are listening, you know, whatever happens in your relationship or even relationships going forward, when something is not even Steven and it's swayed to one side, even if it seems like it's swayed to one side, overwhelmingly good and positive, that's still unhealthy because that that's not a reality of what is going on and eventually that's going to come crashing back down it's just that that like you know a proper healthy relationship it's you meet in the middle and right now he is jumped over your middle and has bombarded you in your world and you know when that happens you start to lose little bits of like what's going on you're not able to process things because it's just so overwhelming and that's kind of what's happening with you it's very hard to see things at that point because you're being blanketed right yeah especially saying things like you know i'm going to take you home to see my family you'd say that often and i want to get married and have kids and that's something that i've always wanted that's all i've ever wanted um it's just like I have this romantic, you know, idea in my head, and I always have since I was a little girl about <clears throat> this whole thing. So he's just portraying himself to me, and he knows exactly what – he knows what kind of holes I have, and he is wanting to show me that he's the only one who can fill them. And so that, like, he's brainwashing me in that kind of way. Um, so <clears throat> at this point, he's doing all this stuff for me and so, making me feel so seen. Oh, sorry. Last question. I apologize. Um, So in this whole entire time, what gets you finally hooked for good? Well, I don't know if there was – see, it's like you said. It was just a wave of one thing after another after another. The sex was so good. It was like I couldn't even believe it. I was like, I can't believe we found each other. You know, he's so crazy about me. And, like, likewise, I felt in the same way for him. Um, and he's talking about the marriage and all this kind of stuff. He's bringing me around his friends, and his friends are just, like, they're so enabling, really, they are, because they're all just, like, brainwashed as well, because he's charming to men and women alike because of his foreign accent, and he's a successful entrepreneur, and he has, you know, this young girlfriend now, and, like, who's a, who adores him um, and is open about it. Um, so we're extremely committed, and he also, I should note that during this time, he's, you know, commenting about who's texting me and who's Snapchatting me and like 
oh, who is this? And, you know, who's this, is this a guy that I should worry about? And like, he's, every single person who's texting me, like, what are they saying? This and that. But it's kind of building trust as well because I'm showing him, like, hey, it's no big deal. And, um, you know, show me your phone, too. Like, he would keep our – both of our phones were unlocked for the whole relationship, like, from the very start. And it kind of – at the beginning, it felt like a trust-building thing. So I thought it was, like, a committed thing. And he was talking about marriage, even though I didn't know what future faking was at the time. But I was hooked because of all of those things combined. Yeah. Um. But, you know, like the, with the hook and fishing, the fish only sees the bait. They don't see the hook. Yes. So I was just happily doing it, you know. Did you send that to me in, in, in an email the other day, that line? I think that I did. I yes, think, I think you did. It was a great line. Yeah, I, I'm sure I heard it somewhere else, so don't quote me on that one. Don't quote me at all. I'll <laughs> probably Google it and find someone else's name. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> so once you moved in to his place – you eventually get rid of your place. You're now locked in as far as, you know, you, your life is now in his domain. You don't have your own separate place to go anymore. Uh, is that when like yeah. devaluation and things like that started to take hold and you started to really notice it? Yes, definitely. And like, I did still have an apartment at the time, but I never stayed there. And if okay. I did, it was like a big deal and it was bad. I shouldn't do that. So, I had it, um, and I kind of used it a little bit. So, yeah, this is where the devaluation starts. So, um, so I'm still in the gym here and there at the time, and uh, he's constantly FaceTiming me at the gym. It gets to be so humiliating, and I get too anxious. Like, every time I have to go to the gym, I want to push myself to go, and I don't want to not go. And, you know, it's such a big part of my life, but he would FaceTime me constantly and, um, you know, set time limits and expectations. And if I didn't answer, it was all hell to pay. And, if there was some mail in the screen or in the gym somewhere behind, I would have to literally take a video of the gym. It was so embarrassing, but every single time I would just, he would call me and FaceTime and I would take a video of the gym at any time that he felt like calling. Um, so the expectations were really high about, you know, be here at this time, be there at this time. Uh, don't be late. Don't get stuck in traffic. Uh, <laughs> just don't, because if you do, you're in trouble. And um, so, all of this stuff is happening, and I'm just extremely anxious, and I accumulate a lot of driving tickets. And um, uh, I pretty much stopped having my friends over because of all of the, the stuff that he was – it was just really uncomfortable, um, but it was hard to point out or say anything about. Um, he started to – I would notice that he was always on my phone. Like, when I was sleeping anywhere, like for nap or for bed, I would go to bed before him. Um, I went to bed around 11 usually, and he always came to bed later, and that becomes important later. Um, but I would go to bed, and then I would wake up around, like, 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, and he would be on my phone, like, crouched next to me on the floor, like, going through my phone. And it's on the other side of the room from, like, the door and, like, his side of the bed. So he was over there just looking for stuff, and I was like, what are you doing? And I would wake up, and often I would get you know, frustrated, like, why are you doing this? So I would start to be like, you know, maybe he's doing something. Maybe that's why he's always doing this to me. Um, but it would start fire to whatever. But anyways, this was going on the whole time. He'd always be on my phone when I was asleep. So after those first few months, when everything is super intense, including the sex, like, the sex subsided extremely and drastically. Um, it was maybe like once or twice a week. And um, <clears throat> I did move in with him at this time. Uh, 
my apartment that I was living at, he kind of, he paid it all off and I was working for him. Um, I was spending dramatically less time with any friends that I had left and less gym time because of all the anxiety from him calling. So I just kind of stopped doing those things and devoted myself more to him. And after about six months of being together, we were always fighting. Um, most of the time, our fights were about, I would go to bed at night and he'd be doing his thing downstairs and I'd wake up in the morning you know, he'd get on my phone, whatever, try and find what he could. And there was never anything because I was literally so faithful, so loyal the whole time. Um, but anyway, so I'd wake up in the morning and earlier than him and I would start to have my suspicions. So I would go through his phone and I would go through his iPad and I would find all this history of, uh, you know, just tons of porn sites, but also sites with like local girls that were looking for sex for money. And they would be sending him private pictures and he would be asking for them Man, it was so painful, but most of our fights would be about me finding this kind of history or these kind of messages, and um, I'd wake him up, and he'd give me all these dumb excuses, and I had no idea. <laughs> like, it, it just, I didn't know what gaslighting was. Um, it just made no sense. It made me feel insane. It made me feel crazy. Like, how are you talking about this when I said this to you, but somehow, like, you've turned it on me, and now, <laughs> now I feel sorry somehow. So, um, yeah, the deep valuation, it was pretty strong by then he would start name calling and um just things got really really bad when I confronted him anytime about that stuff about you know doing something behind my back even though it was in black and white on the screen in front of both of us it was just really crazy making um he would when the fights got bad he would give me ultimatums and this was really triggering for me it is the abandonment issues like that I didn't know what I had on so I just uh, I was so blind during these times, but he would say, I, I, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I can't do this anymore if you stay at that gym or if you don't change that outfit. Uh, I can't do this anymore if you don't unfollow that person on social media. Like, just crazy stuff like that. Like, I'm done with you if this or that. Um, he would start fights over nothing and accuse me of making eye contact with other men. He would accuse me of flirting with uh, his friends. And uh, the only time we'd ever see his friends was right, like, together. So he was basically accusing me of flirting with them, like, right in front of him. That never happened. So, like, eventually I just learned to be quiet and keep my eyes down in public. Um, and to this day, I still do, like, even on my own by myself. It's just a habit of keeping my eyes down. And I get upset when, like, people look me in the eye and I'm just like, don't look at me. Like, you know, it's just a weird, I hate it. And I hope to get through that. So when when he is, like, giving you these ultimatums, let's, like, let's just start mm -hmm. with the ultimatums first. Are yeah. you conforming uh, right away to them? Are you arguing uh, back? And then you just maybe get tired of the arguing and then just say, do you know what? fine, like whatever. And let's just, uh, he, things maybe just go back to normal or at least have a bit of quiet. For sure. And yes, I would fight at the beginning and I would say, you know what, um, you know what, fine. Like this is too much of the same argument over and over and we're getting nowhere. Nothing is getting communicated the way that is fixing anything. And you're just giving me these ultimatums at the end. And so I would pack up my suitcases and um, he would, I would bring him outside and it'd get to that point where he's like, whatever, I don't care. And, um, you know, get out of my house, get out of my life. And then by the time I bring, I've packed everything up, uh, he will start bringing my suitcases back inside the house one by one saying, don't leave, blah, blah, blah. And I would say, Ugh, it was so annoying. Um, 
but yeah, so after a while, I stopped packing my suitcases because, you know, I wasn't going anywhere. Um, so anyways, uh, eventually I did leave and it was early 2016. So, uh, we started dating and I think it was summer 2015 and then early in 2016 around like January, I left for the first time in, uh, I guess it was the first time. And I moved to a new place. Uh, I got a new lease and everything. I went back to the restaurant I had been at before. It was like a steakhouse, a different place, like, um, a dinner place. Uh, cause I had a few jobs then and I was going back to the gym as well. Did you uh, quit working for him at this point? Yeah, okay. for sure. So for every sure. he's gone completely. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if I had blocked him or not, but I know that I had made it clear that we were done. And so he, of course, pivots me in, and he's doing all these kinds of love bombing and saying, like, um, you don't care about my feelings, and, like, I love you, all I do is think of you, and making me think that he's been doing nothing but sit around and be sad, just like I have, because I did love him, and, you know, I was in this weird place and I was not healed yet um so he offers that we should go on a vacation together and we do we go to Florida together and it's really great and we're back together with him less than a month um so he starts paying my rent again on this new lease uh to stay with him at his house um and then winter of that same year of 2016 I ended up getting a DUI it was uh it was my fault but it was he was really really involved in it it was like a lot of his fault too because we met up at a restaurant in separate cars, basically, and um, coming from different places. And uh, we meet up there and meet a bunch of his friends. We all have some wine and stuff. And he and I decided to ride back together in one car because I've been drinking and he felt more comfortable that way. So um, he has one of his friends drive the car that I was driving behind us to go to his house. And um, we get about 20 minutes down the road and we still have, you know, maybe 10 minutes to go. And uh, he and I are fighting about um, a girl that he would use that was in our friend group. That was one of the guy's wives. Uh, the two of them would flirt often and the husband never did and cared or said anything. So it would be like a triangulation thing for my ex and he would use it against me to make me jealous, but I couldn't say anything because, you know, the girl's married, whatever. She's just a friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like we were fighting about this that night and, um, we were in the car together and he pulls over into a dark parking lot of some, uh, Rite Aid, just like a pharmacy. And, uh, like a, I don't know, the ghetto area of town. And he pulls over and he kicks me out of the car. Like, he literally pushes me out of the passenger seat. And it's really, really cold out. It's, you know, winter. Um, I was wearing a dress and he did not give me my coat. And his friend had pulled over behind us with the other car. And they threw me the keys. And uh, my ex, he said, you know, get in the car. And so that him and his friend leave me. And so I was like, well, I can either call an Uber or I can get in this car and drive, you know, 10 minutes back home. So I called my ex and I'm, I'm FaceTiming him and I'm crying, trying to argue with him over the phone. And I did get in the car, and I pulled off, and I got pulled over for tailgating, and I ended up getting a DUI that night. Um, so this happens, and I I moved back. Well, I didn't move back in. I just went and stayed at the apartment that I had leased once again um, that he had been paying for, the new one that I had gotten. Um, I went and stayed there. I blocked him. Um, he here with me again after a month of, you know, not even a month of being apart. We ended up getting back together, um, saying that he can't sleep and he's been crying. And uh, he agrees that we just need to work at separate jobs. Because I'm just like, I can't work for you. This is too much. You're in control of everything. Like, you know, I need to be able to leave when you give me these ultimatums and you say get out of my life. I need to be able to go because I don't have a car. Well, at the time I did, but later I wouldn't. But I didn't have a place to go or a job. Um, 
So anyways, um, we would get back together and we'd have like a week of great sex and, you know, the sex had been gone for all that time before, but uh, we'd go on vacations and he'd pay my rent for me to stay with him. Um, so I would stay with him each night. And uh, each time I went back to him, it was just more devaluating. Um, and so around this time, he, uh, there was one instance where we, were, where we were in the bathroom together. We were standing in front of the mirror, and he had his arms wrapped around me, um, and I was standing in front of him. I was naked. And he's running his hands over my body, and he says, oh, so perfect, this and that. Uh, he stops his hands on my chest, and he's like, if we could just change this. And he's just saying, you know, you're not enough, but you would be if you did this. So that triggered me <laughs> from, you know, childhood and wanting to be enough. Um, yeah. So anyways, we're constantly fighting and all this stuff about the same stuff. And he's always accusing me of this, that, and the other, just whatever he can find on my phone. And he puts up cameras at his dealership. He becomes really, really obsessive with his cameras at the dealership. He's always watching them. Um, he'll leave me at the dealership to do work and then he'll go off and go home and watch me and then call me and FaceTime me and say, where are you? Where is uh, so-and-so another male employee? Um, I know you guys are off doing blah, blah, blah. Like just accusing me of stuff because we weren't in camera view or something. So it became really, really, um, God, I was so anxious. Uh, there was a customer that came in one day and I was helping out this customer and I'm sitting at this, um, behind a desk doing finances and trying to get him approved for a loan or something. My ex, he, he FaceTimes me and he says, I'm in the middle of a transaction and he's watching me on the camera and he says, um, what are you doing? What does that guy want? What is he saying? Get him out of there. And I was like, we're doing this and that. He needs this and that. And I end up getting off the phone from his rude ass. And uh, the guy sitting in front of me, he was like, you shouldn't do that. I was like, what? He's like, as soon as you picked up the phone, you dropped your shoulders really forward and you, like, put your head down. Like, you look, like, extremely defeated. You shouldn't do that over somebody. And I was like, you're right. It almost made me cry, that comment, because I didn't realize how he had really gotten to me at that point. It's amazing how a, stra- how a stranger could mm-hmm. see that in one second and make that yeah. remark and how that affected you. It's amazing what a stranger can do when they can see those things yeah. and how it affects you. Because mm-hmm. when you're dealing with other people that you may know, you never know what uh, you know what's being sugarcoated or things along that mm-hmm. line. But when a stranger says it, sometimes it's just more powerful to see it in the from the eyes of someone who uh, doesn't know you. It's validating of what's going okay. on. Yeah. Right, definitely. But at this point, for you, you are been hoovered back twice at this point. You are dealing mm-hmm. with extreme control. It's now going overboard with the cameras. He <laughs> has, you know, conf- you've conformed in some sort of ways as far as like, you know, telling him maybe like or, or going places with him all the time and things like that, not being alone. And now you have devaluation of your body uh, added to mm-hmm. these things and you're kind of trapped in in that world. You've left twice and come back, but now you're still in that world. And it's a world where, you know, you're not allowed to talk to guys, but he's been on the computer uh, being a hypocrite and, you know, chatting with local women in the area, some paid, some not paid. So at this point, are, are, are you thinking to yourself, um, 
especially after that comment uh, from from that guy and how you, how you held your body, like uh, I'm trapped. What have I done? Or are you thinking like I need to get back out of this, or you just don't know what to do? Yeah, I, I think that I'm just at this time feeling like this is my life. You know, like I'm comfortable here, and I've tried leaving, but he loves me so much, and we're gonna he makes all these promises, um, you know, therapy, and we're gonna work separate jobs. But yet here I am. <laughs> but he okay. So some things happen after. A, during that time that did make me leave yet again. Um, I I was cleaning his house one day, like, as I always did, every single day before he got home to make sure everything was perfect, just in case he was in some kind of mood, you know, walking on eggshells. Um, and I'm cleaning up the closet, and I find a, a bottle of pills in one of his shoes, and I Google what it is, because I'm like, why the hell would you hide a bottle of pills? That's really strange. I have to Google this. <laughs> I have to know what this is. So, um I found out he has an STD, and it's not curable, so he has a bottle of pills for outbreak. Uh, and like I said, on our very, very first date, we had unprotected sex, and that was just so hurtful to me. Like, how could you do that? And then it was almost two years into our relationship when I found those bottles of pills. Almost two years, like crazy. And so I confronted him. He turned it on me, got mad at me. It was insane the way that he did it. Just so weird, made no sense, but yet I ended up, I remember apologizing in that argument for something. I don't know what, but I remember apologizing because I didn't want to fight anymore. Um, he told me, like, the next day, he was like, uh, it means a lot to me that you accepted me and stayed with me despite finding out what you did. Well, then, not even, you know, some months later, right after this incident, and I stayed with him, um, I got tested. I'm good. <laughs> but uh, I... I we needed to paint something at, at our townhouse that he owns, and uh, we had to have specific paint colors. So there's a list of uh, paint colors that they send us, and it was in a specific file in his home. And um, he asked me to go and get that file. Uh, so I asked him where it was. He showed me the binder, and I'm going through it, and he's in, like, the other room or something. Um, and I find some documents that completely, uh, they just break me. They break me to my core. I find that... Um, the first one I signed was a marriage certificate. Um, it was for someone that he had been with before the ex that I knew about. And the ex that I knew about, she was a six-year ex. She was significant. So um, she was a threat to me because he was always talking about, um, he actually would hit her up. But anyways, like, so, uh, I found out that he had been married before her. Um, and then I found a birth certificate right after it that they'd had a child together. And that the child would have, at that time, now now he was uh, 17 years old. Um, it broke me so bad. And I just remember that day that I brought the papers to him in front of his face. And I said, what the hell? Uh, he was so, like, he had no emotion. No emotion. And I was um, crumpled up on the floor, on the wooden floor, just sobbing in front of him with those papers next to me. And he was just so emotionless. Um, he called things crocodile tears, basically. I don't know if he used those words, but that's what he meant. Um, just scoff at the emotions, you know, like a repeat of childhood. But anyway, so, like, I find these documents, um, and I stayed with him, Brandon. Like, I stayed. Our sex life is on zero at this time, like zero. Like, you know, it's always tense, but I stayed. There's just something so weird going on, like... 
It's okay. It's okay that you stayed. I mean, you were manipulated into thinking that he was something that he was not. And you were duped. And there's no shame or, or guilt for staying when all of these things are being done and systematically breaking you down and taking your control away. All of them were systematically uh, done. And, you know, there's no shame or, or guilt for staying. And there's no shame or guilt for going back. You know, sometimes you have to continue to go back. And each time, you right. know, you, you learn something and, and you gain uh, strength to leave again. So just so you know that, like, there's no shame or guilt. And for everyone listening, if you're going through the same thing, remember that. Um, it's hard to feel until later, but mm-hmm. it's it's important for everyone to know. That is so true. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's very true because looking back, I feel the same way. I'm not quite as embarrassed for how many times that I've realized that I did it because, you know, I was thinking over this outline of this recording and by the time that I got to the end of it and I put everything in order, I was like, I didn't realize I left that many times and went back that many times, but I needed to. And I did gain strength because now look at me, you know, I'm. And just, just so you know, there's uh, I, I, there was one, a quote, I hope I'm probably screwed up the quote. It's a quote from uh, an addict and this addict, I think had gone to rehab like 20 something times. And his response to that, he, like, because people would be like, oh, my God, you've been to rehab like 27 times. And he goes, that's 27 times I didn't give up on myself. Yeah. And yeah, that's I, really good. And I think that's a real good way to look at it. It's like, I, you know, oh, I, I, don't be embarrassed that I was hoovered back five, six, seven, eight times. That's eight times I didn't give up on myself because I'm worth it. Yeah. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So anyways, um, I had this feeling for most of our relationships that I just couldn't do anything right. I would never be enough. Um, and I just couldn't get anything right. Like I couldn't get the house perfect enough. I couldn't keep it clean enough. I couldn't, um, you know, don't get stuck in traffic and don't miss a call and don't guess what he wants for dinner incorrectly. Like just don't mess up. And I, I got to this point where I would imagine an image of a hole in the ground with a giant rock covering the hole. And I just wanted to crawl into that hole and I wanted to live there because I couldn't do anything wrong there. I couldn't mess up there, right? Like I couldn't mess up there. You know, I couldn't do anything wrong. I would, I could be hidden from people's judgmental glances of, you know, the shell that I had become. And like, it was just embarrassing of, I, I knew that I was a shell, but I was so addicted to him, um, just overly hopeful. The things that he was saying, like the lies that he was saying to me, just as easy as he breathed, um, you know, how they how they lie. Um, so I, was, I tried working at a, um, a breakfast restaurant because we had said that things might work out if we don't work in the same place, and I don't work for him. So I worked at a breakfast place right across the street from the dealership so that he would feel comfortable. Uh, a couple of weeks there, he wouldn't allow it. He just didn't want me working for anyone under him, I mean, besides him, um, because uh, he just gets so jealous. He would make up these accusations, and it was really hurtful and awful, so I quit, um, and I went back to work for him. Um, my sister found him on 
Tinder, you know, that dating site that's all about, yes. you know, physical looks. Yeah. <laughs> so just physical. And so he's on there when we're in a committed relationship at this time, like no two ways about it. We're definitely just the two of us, you know, we weren't rocky. I mean, we were always fighting, but um, around the same time, and I stayed with him, like I was just, <laughs> uh, around the same time, um, I have a friend that I met in fourth grade, and she and I have kept up over the phone all of these years. I consider her my best friend. I don't know why I'm just now bringing her up, but she's been with me through all of this over the phone. Um, so she called me, and she said, you have to watch this video on YouTube. And it was a girl who was about our age, and she wasn't any kind of expert, but she was saying that she was in a relationship. And she explained it, and she basically told me about narcissism. And from there, I started learning about it. Um, so this is in 2019 at some time, uh, I first learned about narcissism and, um, yeah, so he, he made me feel like I was empty so that he could fill every void, like literally like I needed him to survive. And he would even say things like, you know, I, I, like, how are you going to survive without me? And it's like, looking back, how could I not be like, you know, how can someone say that to me in my face? And like, I actually believe them and I actually care what they say. Like, obviously it's ridiculous, but in the moment, him saying it to me, he just had a way to get to me. Um, and so he made me feel like I couldn't do anything without him. You know, I couldn't live without him. Um, but anyways, in the fall of 2019, I moved a few hours away to a big city um, from where we lived. And, uh, I didn't tell him where I was moving to any of the times that I left. I didn't tell him and he would always find me or stop me down, um, follow me home from either the gym or whatever. So I moved further away this time out of the city. I moved three hours away. I got a job at a dentist office and I've got a new apartment. I've walked him everywhere, set up a lot of fake accounts, started hoovering me with messages. I would read the messages. It would get, you know, tug at my heartstrings. Um, we decided to meet up to talk, you know, just to talk. <laughs> and, uh, we meet up next to a hotel. Isn't that funny? And he ends up checking into the hotel for the night. I set a boundary with him right away before we walk inside and, you know, say that I don't want anything like that to happen. Um, I just want to talk. I want it to be, I want him to respect me because that was always my big thing. He's like, you don't respect me and you never will. Um, so I set this boundary. As soon as we get into his hotel room, he obviously crosses the boundary and um, I followed suit because I'm just like butter in his hands. Like, I just melt. Um, so every time I go back to him, my family, they basically talk to me and act like I'm just going back for the financial comforts of it. Um, they say things like, you can do this on your own. You don't need him. Um, you're a hard worker. You can do this. We can help you out. Come live here and there. I'm just like, you know, I wish that it was just that easy of like, I know I could do it. It's not about that. I've always been a hard worker. I've always taken care of myself, but there was something different. And I didn't know, you know, I, I, I was starting to learn about it, but I didn't fully realize my role in it all. You know what I mean? Um, so anyways, so he starts staying with me where I'm living those three hours away from him. Uh, he starts staying with me about half of each week, and then he'll go back and work the dealership for the rest of the week. Um, he's constantly accusing me during this time because we're spending so much time apart, constantly accusing me, and that's only because that's what he's doing is doing, you know, things with other girls behind my back when we're apart. So he's accusing me, and uh, things get really physical in our um, arguments, and it gets pretty bad at that time. And um, I didn't do anything about it. I didn't call any uh, authorities. 
you know, I, I was going to stay with him, I guess. Um, so anyways, I had a six month lease there where I was living only six months. So after those six months were up, I moved back in with him uh, to the beach and I find out that he's been talking to other girls the whole time and he would receive texts in front of me and um, he'd be like, oh, it's just a customer. And uh, God, it was so ridiculous. And I would either believe him or else just get over it. I don't know. But I was definitely hooked and I wasn't going anywhere because I'd just gone back to him again. You know, it'd be embarrassing to up and leave again after I I see all these things and it's so devaluating. But he knows that I'm going to stay. So he, he leaves them on his phone for a reason to devaluate me because he knows I'm going to stay. I've just done all this work to leave and then I've come back, you know. So, of course, I'm not going to leave right away. Um, so he just evaluates the shit out of me during these times and uh, just constantly accusing me of stuff. Um, he would ghost these girls and then he wouldn't block them so that he could, like, keep them as supply on hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they all do this. They got to keep that back of supply. Um, yeah, so I'm just educating myself more and more during these times uh, on narcissism. And I learned about another thing that was really interesting to me called the Madonna Horror Complex. Um, it's, I don't remember. I think I had Googled some symptoms that we were experiencing. And basically that uh, a person can only see, we'll just use it in uh, heterosexual light. A male can only see a female in two lights. They can either be a whore, like a prostitute, pay for sex, and they're sexy and, you know, promiscuous in that way, or they see them as a Madonna, motherly, saintly type figure. Um, and it was so interesting because they can only see them in one of these two lights. So at first, you know, I thought maybe he was seeing me in this light of this girl who worked at the, uh, you know, the bar, the cocktail waitress, and sexy and this and that, and we had this great sex life. And then once he wants me in a committed relationship with him and he actually sees me as his future partner, um, you know, image is so important to him. He can't have somebody promiscuous on his arm. So he sees me as this Madonna figure, this like motherly figure or something like that, that is not allowed to be sexual in any way. So like we never had sex and I really do attribute it to this complex that I learned about, but it was through learning about that and narcissism that, you know, I was just building up my, my knowledge, but I still, I wasn't ready to leave. Oh, so one day, so the fighting got really, really physical. Um, I ended up calling the cops because I think I was done at this point. I called the cops right in front of him and um, I left and I got a protective order and I hit him with a domestic charge. And I stayed with one of my girlfriends who was always insisting that I, you know, stay with her if I ever need to. And it was one of those girlfriends from the gym that we didn't talk anymore, but she said she would always be there for me type thing, which was really good of her. Um, I went and stayed with her for like less than a month. Um, I got a new job at another dealership, which is funny. He actually knew the guy and it made him really upset. <laughs> um, but I'd lost him everywhere. And so we go to court for that, um, those charges because they weren't in place yet. We go to court for them. And I ended up having a panic attack for the first time. I had never experienced one ever before, but I had walked into the courtroom and upon seeing him, like, uh, I just completely, uh, like, shattered or something. I was, like, wearing a nice dress, looking all professional, and I'm, you know, like, 26 years old at that time. And, like, an adult really walked over to the corner of this courtroom, and um, I went to the corner, and I just bought up, and I was, like, crying. And I was gasping for air in a way that I'd never experienced before. And it sounded really, really funny. It was so embarrassing. I just was like, 
I, I wanted to die. I wanted to disappear. Like I was just, it was so overwhelming just to see him again after all of this time that I had been no contact. And it was only like a month. Um, but it was just like cutting myself off from this drug and then like seeing him again. It really sent me into this crazy spin of like, I, I sounded like this. I was like, <gasps> like I couldn't breathe. It was just really embarrassing. So like we stopped the court session. Um, I go into this room outside of there and it's like a small little um, counseling room or whatever. So I go in there by myself and his lawyer comes in and asks me if, you know, Hey, you want to drop the charges? You should drop the charges. This and that. I'm, so, I'm you know, I told him, I was like, no, I can't do that. Um, you know, this is, I really need to do this. Like, I was so set on it. I really wanted to do this because I didn't want him to get away with this. And I knew that he was going to do this to the next girl. And he's probably going to be the one before me. And nobody's put charges on his name. And I knew that because I asked for, you know, I had gotten information on his record. Um, nobody had done it to him before. But I know that his cycle is a cycle. Um so I know he's going to do it again. So I like really wanted to put these charges on him. So I was like, no, I'm not going to drop them. Well, we're sitting in the waiting room um, after this court disaster. And uh, my ex is sitting in the same room, but across the way. And we make eye contact. And he starts mouthing things to me like, let's just talk. Let's, uh, let's, he would make motions like, let's go out on the boat. Because he had boats. And we would just always go out and have a great time, you know, parts of love bombing. Um, he, so he was saying, like, let's go out on the boat and talk, which, of course, that sounds really nice. I've just had this extremely stressful experience. I'm working my butt off trying to get a new place because I was staying with my friend at the time, you know. So he just made it sound really nice, like, let's just go relax for a minute and just talk. And that's all I wanted was, you know, to be in his arms and talk to him. But it was all a lie. Um, so he mouthed the words, I love you to me, and you know, that got me, of course, even though it was fake. Um, so I told him, you know, the same thing. And we ended up walking out of the courthouse together. And they had set another date for us for the future to redo the court because this is what had happened, um, which, wasn't, which wasn't good looking back. But it's all part of what happened. It's all for a reason. So we walk out together and we're in the parking lot and we're talking and we end up, you know, we're talking about getting separate jobs and going to therapy and all of these promises. Um, we get back together ridiculous <laughs> but yeah like you said it's just part of it I had to learn something from it um, I just wasn't ready to end the cycle and I thought I was and I wanted to I wanted to but I just wasn't ready um, so I ended up dropping dropping those charges and my friend that I was staying with at this point I had stayed with her a couple of times she was done she was like I'm done and she was actually very very mad so she cut me off completely which now I, I mean I understand I do um, still hurtful but she just uh, people who have not experienced it, I can't expect them to understand. Um, so I'm completely addicted to him, and I'm extremely emotionally vulnerable with him. Um, and we just continue our dance as the narcissist and the codependent, as I consider myself, because now knowing what I know, I played a very significant role in it all. Um, I'm bending over backwards for him. I'm always trying to be enough, and I never will be. Um, I go back, and I find out that he's seen his ex. Uh, while we've been together a previous time, I find out that they had, you know, seen each other. I found out that he's been with all of these countless other girls while we've been apart, and he's been lying about it. Like I, you know, I haven't seen anyone, and it's okay, like when you're single to see other people. But for me, like, if that's not the crime here. The crime is lying about it, and you've actually not been seeing just one or two normal people off of a dating site. You've actually been seeing a lot of girls and their prostitutes, and like 
that's hurtful. That's not somebody I would go back to, you know? So of course he's going to lie. Um, so he would get me back in those ways and then I would find all this stuff and just craziness. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so like this is around in 2019, like the fall, we out to dinner with his friends and, uh, he accuses me of making eye contact with some guy in the restaurant and he gets into a big fight about me. It was like really embarrassing. And I knew that I hadn't looked at any, any guy. I hadn't even looked at a guy. So I know I didn't make eye contact with one and get caught doing it or something, you know, cause I kept my eyes down at all times at this point. So I got into a big fight with him about it and um, went off on him. And uh, I think I left him at this time and I moved in with my, grandma i'm pretty sure this is when i moved in with my grandma and she lives about three hours away as well in a different area um so i started working at another restaurant it was actually the same restaurant i had been at before but in a different location so it's like the company has been really good to me over the years to keep taking me back in and giving me a job every time i leave him um so i go and pick up shifts at this restaurant which is you know the same company i'd worked for before and uh, I bought a new vehicle, and I blocked him and deleted him on social media. Like, I had full intentions of never going back again, just like every time. I really did. Like, I really wanted to leave for good every time. Um, so I've got him blocked, and I'm working on actually healing because I'm learning about my codependency and that I am enough, and I'm learning more about him and his tactics. And he continues to hoover me with uh, the fake accounts and messages. He sends flowers to my job and he ended up breaking into my storage unit uh, and got my suitcases out that were filled with like clothes and like my stuff, just like flowery suitcases. And he locked them in his home. Um, and I went to go pick up my stuff out of the storage one day, like a month after we had been apart. And I was like, I feel like I'm missing a lot of things. And I looked around and I was like, I'm missing a bunch of suitcases. And I was like, Oh my God. So um, I ended up stalking out his house that day that I had gone to the storage unit and found them not there. I stopped out his house and watched for when he left the house. And so he like, it was like a Sunday afternoon and he goes to pack up his bicycle in his truck, probably to go hang with some girl on a date. <laughs> and, um, he leaves and I break into, I jump his patio fence and, um, I won't say how, but I, after like 10 minutes of finagling, I got his sliding back door to open. Um, that was that was pretty um that was funny. The adrenaline was flowing, so I didn't really care. But I did eventually get it open. But um yeah, I went upstairs and I kicked in his guest bedroom door that was locked, and I found in the closet all my suitcases. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what a psychopath! And so um yeah, that was really funny. So I told my grandma about it, and I went back to her house. Um, he's sending me the flowers, and he's doing more love bombing and stuff. He just doesn't stop. So even despite what he's done, um, he just acts like it's all out of love. And so around February of this year, 2020, um, I went back to him again. And this was the last time. Yeah, we're at the end of the story, finally. <laughs> so this time when I went back to him, of February of this past year, um, right around the time that COVID was beginning, and this is how he got me to kind of quit my job because of saying like, oh, you know, I don't want you to get sick and you really need to stop and you need to quit your job and do unemployment and, you know, come live with me and stay with me. <laughs> this is all the normal shenanigans. Um, so this time I, I had full intentions to be with him and really see him for who he was. Like I wasn't just going in 
as this blind little little girl anymore. I had actually learned a lot, and so I was going in with that knowledge, but yet I couldn't stay away. Like, I really, 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 really wanted to go back again, so I let myself. I was like, you know what? You want to do it so bad, you can't, like, you can't stop, then just go back again if you want it. And this time, you know, don't fight it at all. Take it all in. Let him do whatever he wants. Let him be his full self. Like, if he wants to beat you down in whatever kind of way. And, like, not, you know, it wasn't physical at that point as bad because of me putting that protective order on him before for the domestic charge. Even though it didn't fully go through, it scared him a bit. So, like, the physical kind of died down. And I was kind of just thinking, like, I'm going to be okay. I just really need to experience this in its fullness. Because I knew that he was the same guy, yeah. In, in a way, going back that last time was in kind of going back with a journal in hand and saying, I'm now yeah. taking notes with all of my education that I've accumulated over this period of time to finally say definitively, this is what I'm dealing with. Now I can knock him off that pedestal and that mm-hmm. break that trauma bond for good in a way was that kind of a sense of what you were doing yes definitely right on um so yeah he's just uh you know doing the same things he always has of course and um i'm doing the same things that i always have as well except for i'm fighting back less and like you said i'm kind of just taking mental notes the whole time because when he says like when he starts to gaslight me and turn things on me that I know I haven't done or that I'm actually calling him out for. I just sit there and listen. And instead of being like, wait, that makes no sense. I'll just be like, okay, all right. You know, X, whatever, like whatever you say, you know, insane and just kind of make a mental note. Um, so yeah, I just really, I got really, really submissive is what it kind of felt and looked like. And I just kept very quiet. I just got really submissive and we isolated extremely because of, um, the the pandemic. So his friends stopped coming around and I think it had a lot to do with when I had left before I lived with my grandma, he had smeared my name to all of his friends in whatever kind of way that by the time that he got back together with me again, they didn't want anything to do with us. So his friends stopped coming around and it's just the two of us. Um, yeah. So I find all kinds of stuff that he's been up to and that He's been paying all these – I find all this stuff on, like, payment apps on his phone. Um, when I was at work one day, working for him at the dealership, because he'd asked me to take a down payment from a customer, and I have to use a payment app on his phone to do it. So he hands me the phone, and I open up the payment app, and I see multiple girls in the last, like, a couple of weeks, like, right after – right before we had gotten uh, back together, like, actually, you know, settled that we were together. Not that we had just started talking, but, like, settled that we would do this again. So, like, the whole time that we're talking and he's saying all this BS to me and, like, oh, I'm only thinking about you. He's actually paying multiple girls to sleep with him or whatever. I don't know. Based on the amounts, it was just various different acts of whatever. So, it was a lot of money. Ridiculous. And then I opened up another payment app. I see the same thing to different people. It's just absolutely insane the amount of uh, effort that he goes to, uh, how busy he gets when he's single. Like, it's just he's got a weird mess of addiction and it's just not somebody that I would have gone back to as many times as I did if he wouldn't have lied about what he'd been doing during that time. But he would say, Oh, I'm not seeing anyone. And I just sit around and think of you and whatever. <laughs> so anyways, like I find all this stuff on his phone, but you know, I was hooked 
for, you know, I was just addicted. Like, the, it was a good life. We cooked together, even though we were just, just the two of us. I mean, we cooked together. We listened to music. We went out on the boat. We went to the beach. But I always went to bed alone. Like, that was a constant thing throughout our relationship is the sex was, like, gone. <laughs> uh, I always went to bed alone. And it was just a, such a habit. It was, like, it didn't even bother me at the end anymore. Like, we just had our routine. Um, and it just became so normal to me that, like, we didn't have sex. And I didn't think about it until uh, now when I look back and I, you know, I catch myself romanticizing about anything. And then I have to remind myself, like, Sadie, you guys didn't even have sex, like, ever. Like, that's a big problem. That's important because I'm 27 now. Like, all of these years, it's like prime years. And I'm not saying that the prime years are about to be over, but those were definitely some prime years. And it's just for someone to use sex against me as a weapon, that's just so wrong, you know? Like, anyway, you know that. So um, this is kind of the beginning of the end now. Uh, yeah, so we're together, and I'm seeing all this stuff in his phone, but life is good for us. Like, he's making sure I'm comfortable. Uh, anytime we get into an argument, he will try to give me a credit card or just try to love up on me and kiss up on me, and, like, it would just never be resolved. It's always just like, oh, just go appease yourself and, um, you know, get over it. <laughs> uh, so we, in June of this past year in 2020, we're almost to the end here. Um, I got my animals, I got my dog and both of them were like really young. So I got them when they were about two months each. And so having them, I'm like training them and um, all of us living together. It made me realize, and I know this might sound funny, but it helped me to realize that I really can never have kids with this man because he was constantly disrespecting me and undermining me, especially right in front of them. So I'm trying to teach my dog something and he completely just blatantly undermines me and does the opposite. And, you know, she's confused. So that was just something that kind of just put a reminder in my head of like, you can't have kids with this person. Like if this is what he does with animals, like just wait until you're secured into a relationship enough with him that you have kids. Then you're really tied down and then he can really disrespect you however he wants. Um, so it kind of just reminded me constantly that he, we couldn't have kids together. And um, I would forever, like forever, if we got in a relationship or got married, I would forever be anxious of him cheating on me. Um, especially once we had kids. Um, and then to that day, to this day, his mom still doesn't know about me. Like they talk on the phone every single day and uh, she still doesn't know about me. And they've got this weird relationship where he like screams at her on the phone and he's constantly aggravated when she calls. Yet she calls multiple times a day and he'll run out of the room and shush me. And five years of this, <laughs> every single day, like, and he would be like, I would tell him how it made me feel and he'd be like, I just don't want to hear her opinions and this and that. So, like, even to this day, she just still doesn't know about me, and we've never been back to his home country, never. I, I had gotten a um, a passport after he told me in those first few months together that he wanted to take me back home so often. Um, I got a passport. You know, I put in the time, and I went and did that. We never went, ever. Um, so, anyways, uh, I started school in September of this past year. I hadn't been in school since high school. And I'd done a few college courses, like, here and there in high school and maybe right outside of high school. But I had never, like, done a full semester. So I started online school um, this past September, and that was just the decision that I often decided to make. And I think that it gave me some kind of, um, like, a, a confidence in a way. Um, 
as well as having that viewpoint of having my animals, uh, you know, just, um, you know, pouring myself into them and then giving me back unconditional love. Like it was kind of just giving me something else to think about with school and the animals. And I was stressed from, um, you know, training my dog and uh, from lack of sleep because she was so young and we were always fighting, he and I. Um, so the end of that September, uh, September of this year, I was driving home from work one day working for him and he FaceTimed me in like a suspicious tone. And, um, <clears throat> he's like, where are you? And I was like five minutes from home. And I had already told him where I was and what I was doing and when I would be back. And I even had my location on 24 seven at this point so that he could see me. Like that was a constant thing that he needed me to do was to have my location on. <clears throat> even if he didn't have his on or his was off for whatever reason and whatever excuse. Um, so it just wasn't even. Um, so he FaceTimes me in the suspicious tone. He's like, where are you? And <clears throat> this is the day that I said to him, like, you know what? I'm done. And it was literally, Brandon, it was like over nothing. It was just like I was fed up with him. And I was so tired at this point from everything I had been doing with the school and the animals. And I was tired. So I was like, you know what? I'm done. Um, so at this time, the car that I had gotten for myself when I was with my, living with my grandma, um, that car was actually in the shop all this time because um, it was something was wrong with it. So I was just driving his cars for all this last time that I was with him. Um, so another form of, you know, isolation, a way for him to have that control. And so my car is in the shop, and I'm just like, hey, I'm done. You know, I'm done with this relationship, and I'm sure he doesn't believe me, but he would soon eventually. But... So I had to stay with him for a week while my car was actually getting fixed because they hadn't been working on it at all So um, for all of these months. So they fixed my car within that week, and I'm having to call them and call them and push them and push them because they're guys that work for him. So, of course, he's probably saying stuff behind my back, like, make this a last priority. And in the meantime, of course, he's saying things like, I don't want you to go, and you're not really going to leave, are you? Don't take the animals. Don't go. This and that. Well, we come to a... Um, an agreement by the end of that week that I was going to go and I was going to take both the animals. It was like a, an agreement. It wasn't like that he was happy about it, but he was like, whatever. So, um, he's like accusing me of having like somebody else. And he says, I bet you have a sugar daddy that you're going to that he's trying to make me feel like I can't do it without him and that I can't take care of myself and make me feel like, I don't know, just really trying to be hurtful during time and like emotionally and mentally just exhausting me. Um, so during this week that I was staying with him for that last week, I didn't have a plan as to where I was going to go. I just knew that I needed to go and get away from him. I knew nothing more than that. Um, and so he the whole time thinks that I have this plan and I've met some guy or whatever. Like he just is so convinced that there's no way that I could leave him, <laughs> you know, just because I felt disrespected enough. There was no way that that would make me leave. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that's what it was. So, um, yeah, he's accusing me of all this stuff, and I just don't have a plan. So my car is fixed by the end of that week, and uh, we have these normal goodbyes. I'm crying. I hug him. He, I don't remember if he did his crocodile tears or not, but um, it's pretty normal, and he reluctantly lets us go. And I was feeling kind of shocked that he didn't fight me that day. And he was like, you know, I wish you well, and I said the same to him. So I block him everywhere, and I moved over five hours away. Um, well, I drive five hours away, and I didn't know where I was going. So I went to be near my friend that she and I always keep in touch over the phone, and we've been friends since the fourth grade. Um, I drive to where she is just to see her for a little bit, and I stay in motels 
for two weeks and I'm doing my full-time school at, online at the same time. So I've got both my animals. So it was like a hard, uh, hard two weeks because I'm trying to find an apartment at the same time or a house to live. Um, so it's really hard, but it was so worth it to have my animals with me because they literally provided just so much support. Uh, they took my mind off of him because I constantly had to like be focused on them. And, um, it was just really, really, really helpful to have my animals. And I think that they might've been the driving force to help get me out of there. Um, well, and to see that I wanted a family. <laughs> because it's unconditional love also at the same time you're, you're getting, full unconditional love and you Mm -hmm. might not have gotten full unconditional love when you were younger you were not getting it in this relationship and in a way those animals were giving you unconditional love possibly for the first time in your life and you experience experiencing that might have flipped that switch in you of like this is what this is supposed to be like or, or feel like not your ride. I actually never thought of that. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I ended up moving pretty close to where my friend lives. Um, and it's a place that I've actually lived before in the past um, in one of our many moves as a family. So I moved back over here, and I didn't tell my ex at all where I was going. I have been zero contact. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the day that I left, it was October the 1st. And so I'm zero contact and all of this kind of stuff, like blocking everywhere, doing everything that I can just to not think of him and not have any way for him to contact me. And, you know, he doesn't know where I live. He doesn't know where I'm going. I hadn't told him anything. And I kind of maybe had an idea, but I didn't know that I was going to move here. Um, so I moved here and I, I got a little house that I'm renting and it has a little backyard for my dog, which is cool. Um, and I got a job at a, um, a UPS hub and I'm doing like shift work. Um, so it's just like a stable hourly kind of thing. And it's not amazing pay, but it's a really routine thing, which is what me and my dog and my cat need right now. So I think that's really helpful as well. Instead of the unpredictable life of working in restaurants for tips, which is great money, but it's very unpredictable. Um, so yeah. I got the job and um, I decided I'm going to give myself one year off of dating and I'm going to be dating myself this year. So until next October, I'm dating myself. I'm not like talking to any guys, not even, you know, as a friend, because a lot of times, you know, it's too hard to have guy friends when you're a girl. Um, (laughs) They all just want a little bit more. So I decided that I'm just not going to talk to any guys like that for a whole year. And my mom, she actually... She doesn't think that's a good idea. She's saying, oh, come on, just get back out there and this and that. Well, my mom is, I hate to say it like this, but like, in my opinion, my mom's a codependent herself. So like, you really can't take advice from her. And I would have in the past. I would have been like, all right, I guess you're right. Mom knows best, you know? And like, I've been doing that my whole life. So I've got to learn how to sit with myself and learn how to be, um, yeah, just to be. Because I didn't even, I, I didn't know who I was for all this time. So I need to, I'm figuring that out. And it might sound cliche, but I, I am. That's what it means, you know. I didn't realize that I didn't know who I was all this time. And I am, it's really fun. It's really fun starting to get to know myself um, and giving myself this time and effort that I was putting into him, you know, for all this time and putting into other people my whole life and trying to put into my dad to make him happy and, you know, to backfire. Um, 
Well, anyway, so I started a social media account for my dog because I didn't have one for myself. I was just completely off of everything and took down all my accounts. So I started one for my dog because I, I don't know. I just, I think I just wanted an outlet and it was really fun for me because she's adorable and I love doing it. So I was posting on this stuff and he started following us from, um, well, not following us, but watching our stories and all this kind of stuff from his fake accounts. And I just knew that it was him because of the kind of account names that he would use. It was just really obvious. Um, he's not like the brightest bulb <laughs> in the bunch. But anyways, uh, he's just very obvious in how he does things. Um, I think maybe I just know his tactics too well by now, but. Anyways, he's messaging with the fake account saying he just wants to talk, and uh, he's saying really degrading things. Um, he's just back and forth with just doing anything he can to get a reaction, anything he can, anything. And um, I tell him to leave me alone. I send him one message, and I tell him to leave me alone. Um, he sends me another message, and he says, I have papers, uh, my dog's registration, and basically, he was saying that he had taken her papers from my things before we left. So that was the reason that he let us go so easily that day. It's because he knew he had his leverage. He had taken, he had taken it out of my folder, um, or so he thought he had leverage. So I ended up, uh, I ignored that message, and I ended up that I was able to get her papers um, put into just my name uh, without any help from him and get him taken off because of what he did next. Um, he went onto his Amazon account and he, uh, I had some old credit cards of mine on his account cause we shared his prime account. And he, um, after I ignored his blackmail attempts of my dog's papers, he went on Amazon and he pulled up those credit cards of mine, but I didn't realize they're still on there. And he charges like 20 something orders with a bunch of items in each order. And it's over $4,000 worth of charges on my credit cards, charge after charge after charge. And it's on three different cards. So I have to go and call all of these companies and as they're happening, get them fixed. And day by day, more charges are either going on or dropping off or need to be fixed. And, you know, through a third-party vendor or through this person or that person. So it's already shipped. Well, he ended up receiving over $800 worth of items to his home, which he still has. Um, so he did that against me and I did nothing. I completely ignored him through that. This is how badly I want to be done with him. Um, he's doing a lot of stuff to get a reaction. Um, so one day I made a post on my dog's Instagram and I had set up a home gym in my garage out back. Um, cause I had this detached garage which was pretty nice cause there was nothing in it. So I decided to set up a gym in there. And so I get everything done. I take a picture of it and I, with my dog and she was like right in the middle of the picture because it was just like, you know, hanging out with mom in the gym type thing. So I posted on her account and same night I am at work. I'm doing my shift work. So I don't have my phone on me and I get out of work and I see that he's been calling me and texting me from a fake phone number. So I guess he finally learned how to make a fake phone number, not just a fake, a fake account. And I was just like thinking to myself, you know, oh, I was wondering when he was going to figure out that you can make a fake phone number online. So yeah, sure enough, it was him because it said something like, baby, I just want to talk. Um, and all this kind of stuff, just, just want to talk. Well, I ignored it. And the next morning, he's calling my phone, and he's texting, and he's saying that he has uh, cancer and he needs surgery. <laughs> I ignored it. I was like, it did pull at my heartstrings because for a second I believed it. Then I was like, wait, no, he's lying. Because he had told me before, when I left before, that he had been in a heart, he had had a heart attack. It turned out to be false. Um, turned out to be some other story that was just completely, oh, He's ridiculous. So he's saying that he uh, has cancer and he needs to go back home to his home country and have surgery. Um, that he just wants to see me before he goes. 
And uh, so I didn't say anything. I didn't answer. And I get in the shower that morning and I put my dog Hazel out on her leash out back. And the leash is connected to my back door. And so I get in the shower right next to the back door. I get out. I dry off. And I had walked into my bedroom to get dressed. And um, I, like, shut the door. And so the dog has only been outside for, like, maybe 10 minutes at the most. Uh, it's just like a quick shower real quick. And then I was going to bring her right back in. And I knew that it wasn't smart to leave her out there because of all this harassing that he had been doing. And I didn't know that he had my address, but I thought there might be just so crazy. So, like I have this gut feeling that, you know, make sure you watch every time you put her out on the leash, don't leave her too long. Like, you know, he could be around. Like I just had this gut feeling that very morning. So I didn't listen to it. And um, so I get out of the shower. I walk into my bedroom and um, I close the door and I hear a voice from inside my house and it's calling out my name like twice. And so I was like, I knew the voice, the unmistakable voice that I knew so well. Um, And I was like, no, 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 no. And I start yelling. I'm like, no, you can't be here. And I walk out, I see him and he's like, shut the door behind him. And my dog is jumping on him excitedly because she loves him. And, um, I had to secure her and it like really broke my heart that he came in and just like, you know, said hi to her and all kind of stuff. Like, I didn't want her to ever see him again because I know that she loves him. And it's just, it's one of those little things that just adds to the heartbreak. Um, so she's jumping on him and I'm sad and I have to go secure her in the other room. And then I come back out and he's still there. And of course, and so I tell him to leave. He starts on his lies. He says he has cancer and I said, no, you don't actually, you're lying. And I, you know, pointed out his chest. I like poked him in the chest. I was like, no, you're lying. You are definitely lying and you don't have cancer and you don't have to go back home and this and that. And you're lying about this and that. And, uh, he didn't answer completely. He like, he like almost smirked. Like, I swear I saw like the slightest hint of a smirk on his face. (laughs) And then just as soon as I saw it, it vanished. And he, he switched up the conversation and he's like, um, I don't know. He just switched up somehow, but he didn't answer the fact that he does not have cancer, but I know he doesn't. But, um, so yeah, like he shouldn't have had my address in any way yet. He did. And I think that he got it from abusing his access from having a dealership, uh, because he's got access to people's like DMV type stuff. So it shows their address or their current address. And I had my new one put into the system and stuff. So I think that's how he got my address. I'm not sure, but, uh, so that happened and I took my dog. Well, eventually he left after like 15 minutes and um, I took a video of him just to get him to leave and like threaten him because, you know, that would embarrass him if people actually saw who he really was. And I had it on video. Um, so he kind of switched up then and I told him I was going to call the cops and I had him on video and uh, he finally left after like 15 minutes and he like sped off. I didn't even see what kind of car he had. So um, I was anxious the whole time and I, I left my house after that and I drove to the police station with my dog and I'm super anxious looking around me, looking around me, um, trying to look under my car and see if there's a tracking device or something. Um, but I ended up getting the protective order and it was, um, it was only an emergency one. So unfortunately I had to go to court on the 27th of this month to, um, get that, uh, completed. Cause I'm, I'm thinking that I can get a two year protective order, um, I, I guess that will help things. I don't think that he's going to try to do anything if he's got an order like that on him. But um, he's still doing things, like, despite knowing that we've got to go to court for this and we've got to go to another court date for trespassing. Um, but despite that, he's still messaging people on Instagram 
that my dog's account follows. And my dog's account follows random people because we just want, like, followers. <laughs> it's a dog page. Um, so he, he will hit up people that I'm following or that are following me on my dog's page, and he'll message them really, really vulgar things. And um, I had a guy actually send me a message last night, and he said, he said, whose heart did you break? And I thought he was flirting with me and hitting on me, so I was like, I said some flirtatious bag, and he's like, no, actually, someone just hit me up. And it said, it was this really vulgar message from my ex to this random, just attractive guy that I didn't even know was following me or that I was following him from my dog's account. And it was just a really, really mean message about me and how I have an STD and um, that I've been with over 350 guys and, like, just really, really mean things about me. Um, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. And the guy was like, yeah, I blocked him. Is that considered a breaking of a protective order? Well, since we don't have court until the 27th, mm-hmm. and the first one was only an emergency one, for some reason there's this stupid gap in the system. And I, I think it was because I didn't realize that the first one only lasted for three days. So I probably should have went in sooner. But even still, I would have had to have a court date. Um to get that so there's this weird little gap in there where i i don't know if he knows it or not but there is a gap right now um but he's been doing it even when there was a uh, an emergency protective order he was still on the social media doing stuff so um hopefully after the 27th everything is cleared and quiet and i hope that he doesn't show up i hope that his ego doesn't allow him to and you know he says to himself and to everybody who's been running the smear campaign on me with i bet is going to be like, you know, I don't care about her. She can do her protective order on, you know, I'm not stalking her. I'm not crazy. Um, so I hope he doesn't show up just to kind of prove that narrative that he's been telling everyone. Um, but he may show up and I'm going to have to just be really, really cold. Um, like I was that day that he came to my house. And I'll be honest, uh, between us on this podcast, it was hard to be cold to him when he came and showed up in front of me that day. Um, there was a big part of me and a big pool that wanted to melt into his arms. Um, but I had to be cold and I did it for me because I deserve a future and I wouldn't have one with him. There was no me with him. So kind of into like the aftermath and the healing of where I am now. Um, sometimes it feels like I miss him. It does. And it takes me to a dark place and I know how dark it can get because I've been there and then I end up going back to him. But, uh, when it now, when it feels like I miss him, I remind myself that there's actually no one to miss. Um, there's no one. It's, he was never in existence. I'm grieving the man that I thought he was, that he made me think he was. Um, when he was standing in front of me in my house that day, that he had, you know, walked in, and this was this happened two days before Christmas this year. So I left him in October, and um, he showed up to my house two days before Christmas, my new house that he shouldn't have had the address to. And uh, when he walked in. I saw him in a different light. It was strange. And I think it was because of all the mental work I had been doing and, you know, research and studying um, about his tactics and who he was and what he did to me um, and the role that I played. But I saw him in a different light. And it was like the person that he had me in love with for all these years that didn't exist, that person, that person like physically died in front of me. And it really hurt. But it helped me to be cold because I really saw him for who he was. Um, so I just remind myself that there's actually no one to miss. I'm not missing him. He doesn't exist. Um, I'm grateful for everything that's happened. And I know that sounds 
it's, it was a hard place to get to, but uh, I am grateful. I am because I pity him and uh, he's got a mental disorder and uh, I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned because um, now I know that I deserve to live my own life. And I didn't know that before. And I don't know if I would have ever known that if I didn't end up in a relationship with someone like him because of the uh, programming from my childhood. Um, so. I, I already forgive him. I do. Despite what he's even still doing with the messages, like I forgive him because I understand that he's so broken. But the difference is now, like I, I don't feel an obligation or a responsibility to fix him. Not just because I can't, but because I deserve better. And in trying to fix him, I lost myself and I was abused. And every time I went back to him, I abused myself. Like there was just no love for me, you know? So it's my turn now. And, um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts like this one. I listen to a lot of because it's really helpful and validating to hear other stories, of course. And sometimes I like to listen to um, Lisa Romano. She's really, really good. I really love. Uh, she talks a lot about um, you know self love and self worth, and that's been really important to me. Um, believing that I deserve it has been like crucial to my healing journey. Believing that I deserve to have a life and not live for someone else, basically. And um, so yeah, I'll listen to people on YouTube and, um, listen to my podcast and like my goal every day is to wake up and love myself and to go to bed proud of myself. Um, not needing anyone else's validation, just my own self, you know? Um, but yeah. So, uh, any words that I might have to tell others would just be that there are no magic words and, um, you have to rewire your brain, uh, because a lot of times we have shame from our past and we don't realize it. And uh, it's important to know that it's not our fault, um, that we are already enough exactly as we are. Um, And it's also important to, uh, to be with yourself and to learn how to parent yourself through things. So I used to always blame on my friends that I would call on the phone and I would say, he's doing this or that to me. Isn't this crazy? How could he, um, when I learned to stop doing that and calling her because it was always the same story, uh, when I learned to stop doing that, I had to sit in what was happening and I had to learn to parent myself through things. And it made me leave him as many times as I did over and over. And, you know, the more you practice something, the better you get at it. So I practiced and I practiced leaving until I got better and better. And now I feel really, really confident about, you know, my leaving because I feel like I've gone to the point that I was trying to get the whole time of like seeing him for who he was. I knew who he was, but I needed to let it like click somehow in my brain. So, um, Oh, the last thing I wanted to say is like, if you're able to, and you're struggling in a relationship like this, if you're able to get a pet, definitely get a pet. (laughs) Yeah. So that's been like a huge thing for me. And I'm just, I don't know what I would do without them. I probably wouldn't have left honestly. Um, yeah, I try to use, like, positive affirmations as well. Uh, one of my favorites is this one. It says, I value myself, my new life, and my new reality. So that was so important to me. And I would even use it when I was, you know, I would leave the other times. Um, it was just really, really powerful. And I did value my new life and stuff, but I was just still addicted. Um, so when you really do value yourself in the way that you deserve 
and you value the new life that you've created without this person, a life that is about you because it is your life. Um, you have to value those things. When you truly value them, then it's harder to be pulled back into something that's not healthy for you because you value yourself. Um, yeah. So that was, that's it pretty much. That's my story. Hey, Sadie. Yeah. You were fantastic today. And I want to thank you for you know being here and sharing your story and being so raw and honest and having us go on a journey with you to the depths of how low you were feeling and you brought us all there with you. And a lot of people are going to um, take a lot from that, uh, learn from that and feel less alone because of what you did today. And, uh, you know, you're nothing short of amazing and you should know that um, because, you know, people don't know that we talked once before and, or I kind of mentioned before, but a recording before from what was that day to who you are today. Um, it's a night and day. And, uh, you know, I sat here, even though a lot of what your story was sad, I sat here smiling um, because I was so happy that you were able to uh, tell your story today and tell it your way in your voice uh, for everyone to hear because that was what was really important to me. Uh, after our talk last time and you know you did a great job and uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, being here and everyone who's listening can't thank you enough for sharing you who you are the essence of who you are who you're going to be you know because you're still discovering who that is and we can't wait for to see who you become and I'm excited and I'm sure everyone is excited that you're going to become uh, something special because it's in your it's in your voice that it's there and you're this you know you're the spark plug and you know you're you, you got there's something about you Sadie that I know something big is going to happen for you so thank you for uh, being here and being an inspiration to everyone from the bottom of my heart thank you thank you so much Brandon I really appreciate the opportunity and I really appreciate what you said well you're welcome and now, you know, you, you, you uh, did my job for me before. We didn't have to do the, the, your words of wisdom. You already did it. So for uh, everyone who is listening, thank you for listening today. And I hope you have a good night. <laughs>